Hi, welcome to the ninth episode of my podcast. I'm Kat, I'm a comic artist based in the UK in London. Uh, if you haven't heard this podcast before, it's uh, it consists of me reading from my travel journals from when I was 25 years old, traveling across Central America. Um, I wrote a graphic novel, Follow Me In, about the first part of this trip, which was uh, across the whole of Mexico. And this podcast picks up at the point where my graphic novel ended and describes the rest of the trip through a big chunk of Central America. In this episode, we visit an incredible island in the middle of a lake and then travel on to Costa Rica. The journey to Leon was all right, but when we got there, we attempted to walk into the city centre from the bus stop, which turned out to be a bit much. Leon was sweltering and we lugged our packs 15 odd blocks until we reached the spot where our guidebook said there was a budget hotel. There was no hotel. After consulting people in a nearby shop, we dragged ourselves a few more blocks to a pricey hotel and collapsed in the cafe soaking through with sweat. Dorm beds were $3 each, a bit much as we'd been paying 5 for a private room up until now, but we were so utterly worn out that we took it. The water kept failing, but there were hammocks and tables to work at, so I was happy. We ventured out into the city to do laundry and other chores. The heat was intolerable and the wind was always whipping grit into our eyes. The city looked quite interesting, but our intentions of seeing churches and museums flew out the window and we spent an entire day wilting in hammocks. I remember after we got back from this trip, we were in touch with Elizabeth and Elwan um, and Martin from our uh, El Mirador hike. And I remember Elizabeth and Elwan had travelled through this same city um, probably a little bit after us. And I just remember her commenting about the heat as well as someone from Mexico. Even she had found it kind of unbearable. That evening when we tried to sleep, the hostel was hosting an open mic night in the cafe, which was separated from the dormitory by a partition that didn't even reach the ceiling. I lay on my bed and the bed was vibrating from the volume of the bass next door. <laughs> we sat out in the corridor, shattered and miserable, and badmouthed the hostel's owner. But she then renewed our faith in humanity by coming over and apologising, and then upgrading us to a large private room so that we could sleep. Wow, that's great. We decided then and there to skip the other cities we'd been intending to visit and head for the beach instead. We were physical wrecks and needed a good week of resting, sun, fruit and swimming. So in the morning we headed for the beach town of San Juan del Sur, with the only snag being that we needed to take a detour of either capital or Managua to sort out the date change on our flights home. The minibus we caught to the capital tried to charge us the price of a seat for each of our backpacks, even though they were jammed in at the back and weren't using up any seats. We bargained them down but still had to pay a little extra. In the capital, a taxi driver fairly dragged us from the minibus and into his cab. I was about to argue with him when a junkie lurched up, vomit stains on his chin, shouting incoherently. We quickly shut up and got into the taxi. <laughs> he took us to Plaza España where we located the Iberia office and changed our date without any problems at all. To our astonishment, considering all the exchanges we'd had with STA, Student Travel Association, previously, the woman announced that the date change was free of charge. We got another minibus to Hinotepe, and then one to Rivas, and then a bus to San Juan del Sur, extremely pleased with Iberia. Iberia is the um, Spanish national airline. Um, our, route was, our route to Mexico in the first place was London to Madrid and Madrid to Mexico City, and then we were due to fly back Panama City to Madrid I guess and then Madrid to London again in actual fact we ended up they added in a change so we did Panama City to Miami Miami to Spain and Spain to England 
The atmosphere changed rapidly as we headed south. People seemed to be more chilled out. We got to the beach at dusk, found a room and felt very relieved on all fronts. The rest and relaxation could begin. Or so we thought. The next morning, our horror-stricken Richard noticed that the woman in the Iberia office had changed our flight to the 15th of July instead of June. All our relief evaporated. Would we have to go back to Managua again at considerable cost? And would we have to pay to correct her mistake, as they could argue that we'd used up our our one free date change and we hadn't noticed? We spent an awful hour or so trying to phone Iberia. Eventually we got through, and a really nice woman changed the date for us quickly and easily without any arguments. We were so paranoid now that there might be another catch that we actually phoned her back right after we'd spoken to her the first time and asked her to check all the details over again. We wondered if it had even been necessary to go to Managua at all in the first place. This next section was written in Montezuma in Costa Rica on the 28th of May 2004. We had a very relaxing few days at San Juan del Sur, one absolutely perfect day on the beach where we body surfed and enjoyed the sun. Other days while we were there weren't quite so sunny but we still had a good time sitting lazily on our balcony watching the street below and catching up on our journals. We had the entire top floor of our hotel to ourselves so it felt like we had a private apartment. We ate incredibly cheaply each day at the town market, kind of an institution among locals and travellers for dirt cheap but good food. We also consumed vast amounts of fruit from the market, every evening sitting out on the balcony and concocting a pineapple and banana salad inside a papaya sliced lengthways and adding yoghurt and granola. After four days or so, the rest and relaxation seemed to have done the trick and our exhaustion was gone. So we hopped on a minibus to Rivas from where we'd visit the island of Ometepe, our final destination in Nicaragua. We'd decided that Solentaname and the Corn Islands were just too hard to reach on our restricted budget. In Rivas, we took a taxi to the port at San Jorge, where frequent ferries headed over to Ometepe. Lake Nicaragua was stunning, truly enormous, and quite like the freshwater sea of legend, although you could always make out faint blue outlines of the land on the far sides of the lake. The island too looked amazing from the shore, two enormous volcanoes linked by a tiny isthmus. The bigger volcano, Concepcion, seemed always to be wearing a smooth mushroom-shaped cap of cloud. The ferry took about an hour, but the journey never became boring, as the sculptural details of Concepcion's sides became more and more interesting to look at the closer we got. In one place, an apparently smooth area fell dramatically away along a jagged fracture line, and the area it fell away to was made up of a gully of dark, rugged rocks. The smooth area was a delicate shade of green, but had several sharp creases down it, like the shapes of lightning bolts cut into the surface. It looked like stains of watercolour running down the sides. In parts, the volcano's flanks were covered in jungle. In parts, bare, black rocks and volcanic sand were exposed. In other areas, the sides seemed reddish or pinkish. We arrived at the town of Moyogalpa, and took a room for the night. The place was fairly devoid of tourists, as most rushed straight onto other parts of the island, but we were going to take our time. We spoke to a funny guy in the tourist office about the possibility of hiking around the island. He said it wouldn't be possible, telling us how many hours it took by bus between each village. But we later realised that the buses crawled at a snail's pace. It probably would have been perfectly possible to hike around it with minimal luggage, as long as you tried to avoid the midday heat. Our first afternoon we spent walking to Punta Jesus Maria, the point of a nearby peninsula where there was a beach. We followed the main road a few kilometres and then took a turn off which led down the peninsula. 
Ometepe was finally in the process of having its main road surfaced. All around the island, men were laying flagstones. And this made bus journeys even more slow while we were there, as the buses had to weave around and through construction areas. But the island proved to be so beautiful that this slow pace didn't seem to matter. The two volcanoes often formed a backdrop to any views, and we were really taken with the abundance of bright tropical flowers everywhere. There were no really big towns, just farms and dispersed settlements. We passed fields of fruit trees, pigs in the road, cows, people on horses. We were quite surprised to see them using ox carts to transport materials for the new road. It was like the horse-drawn taxis in Leon and San Juan del Sur. In other Central American countries, these things now only really exist as tourist attractions, but in Nicaragua they were still part of everyday life. After following a path with wonderfully gnarled trees on either side, we emerged at Punta Jesus Maria. There were a couple of modest houses and a long stretch of beach made of shells and volcanic sand. People were fishing and bathing in the water. We took a dip, but were a little squeamish about wading through a shallow layer of squelchy mud to get out into the water. The water itself proved to be really warm, far warmer than the sea had been. It was very peaceful to sit on the shore and look out over the vast expanse of blue that was the lake, sky and distant mountains. There was a sense of unlimited space and airiness. When we returned to Moyagalpa, we cooked dinner in our hotel's kitchen and watched a bit of the student riots on the TV. The next day we headed to a farm on the south side of the island called Finca Venezia. It turned out to be a lovely spot. We had to walk quite far from the main road with our packs to reach it, and when we finally arrived hot and sweaty we were delighted with its garden and hammocks. The garden had various places to sit and work and looked out over the water. There was a small beach with dugout canoes pulled up on it and stands out in the water for washing clothes at. The Finca gave us a high price for a room but dropped it quite considerably on request and the room turned out to be huge, with three beds, private bathroom and a good fan. The first day we walked to the nearby Green Lagoon, where, as legend has it, there's an underwater community headed by a farmer called Chico Largo. (laughs) The lagoon was slightly creepy and a passing man warned us of crocodiles, although when I asked later at the farm, they didn't think there were any. We celebrated in the evening with a couple of beers and then went to sleep. However, evening rainfall soon became an all-day affair. The rainy season seemed to be kicking in with a vengeance and we found ourselves rethinking our plans. We were able to go on one short hike before the rains began, round another of the island's peninsulas where there were great views of the lake and the green lagoon, and various trees full of different types of birds. But after that second day, we didn't even bother with the area's other day trip, which was to a nearby Mirador. With all the rain and cloud, the views wouldn't be that great anyway. The rain fell ceaselessly, turning the garden into a swamp and prompting desperate attempts by the Finca's owners to fix their roofs. Our room not only had water running down one of the walls on the inside, it also had water rising up all the walls at floor level. (laughs) After a couple more days, we were so bored we resorted to making our own Monopoly set, based on places we'd visited in Central America, and having games of Monopoly in our room. It was impossible even to sit out in the restaurant to play or work, the rain fell with such force that it came through the tiles and fell in a mist onto the tables. Also, the electricity and water kept going on and off. We chatted a little to the workers there. There was a Nicaraguan René who'd been living in America, a large friendly guy who was a sign painter and took an interest in my artwork. I ended up giving him a charcoal pencil when he mentioned that he'd always wanted to try drawing with one but hadn't been able to find one in Nicaragua. I remember this guy, I remember him saying, 
I think his mother maybe lived in the States and he was trying to get her to send him a charcoal pencil. And because I had two, I was like, I'll just have this one. My trip's almost over anyway. I also remember joking with the workers there where, with the amount of rain that was falling and telling them this is what it's like living in England. <laughs> Eventually we decided to leave. The rain wasn't going to stop. And while we were at the Finca, we'd had to eat in their pricey restaurant for every meal. I do remember one meal where we were trying to save money just buying a plantain from a local shop. It was pretty much all they had and just eating slices of this not very ripe plantain with a knife and fork. <laughs> that was my dinner. So we got on a bus to the island's largest town, at Alta Gracia, where we hoped we'd be able to eat more cheaply. We found a cheap but noisy room there and tried to get some chores done. We found someone to do our laundry, but it turned out to be a big mistake as it didn't dry for days due to the rain, and it got really smelly again before we'd even worn any of it. Next, we tried to change a traveller's cheque, but nowhere in the town would do it. They said they just didn't have the cash to change $50. So we rested up for the evening, ate, and took a look at some ancient stone statues that they have next to the town church. I did a quick sketch, but there was extremely discordant singing coming from the church and people setting off fireworks right behind me, so it wasn't really conducive to work. The next morning, we took a bus to Moya Galpa, one and a half hours, to try and change a cheque there. The only place that said they could do it was a hotel, where they gave us such a bad rate that we left. We plodded about a bit in the rain and then took the bus back to Alta Gracia, pondering our dilemma. We had only enough cash for that night, but we still really wanted to see the other half of the island, Volcan Maderas, with its ancient petroglyphs. But if we couldn't find anyone else who was able to change a cheque for us, we would be tempted just to leave the next day and head on to Costa Rica. The weather remained grim day after day and we wondered if we would even have any fun exploring the rest of the island in those conditions. There was only one more place we could try. Hotel Santo Domingo, 5k from Alta Gracia, sometimes changed checks apparently. It was too late to walk over that evening, so we stayed in Alta Gracia and watched a religious procession in the evening. In the morning we set out very early to walk the 5k to Santo Domingo. It was a pleasant walk along the road with gorgeous flowers on either side and pigs snuffling and grunting in the bushes. But we were in for a nasty surprise. The turn-off we'd seen from the bus for Hotel Santo Domingo was actually another 4k from the hotel itself, making it a 9km hike, which we assumed we'd, we would have to also make back again as it was Sunday and there were few buses running. We decided to press on anyway, followed the turn-off which led past a village of basic but pretty houses where children stared at us or said hola. The dirt track continued on and on, past fields, woods, through vast puddles and up stony hills. The Maderas volcano came into view ahead of us and I realised we were actually almost on the isthmus between the two volcanoes. Eventually we crossed a pretty stream and came upon the hotel which faced a long beach complete with sun shelters. The sand was attractively sprinkled with petals from nearby trees but the place was absolutely deserted in the rain. There were two quite expensive hotels there with private rooms and cabins and it would be a delightful place to stay if it was sunny and you had enough money. Unfortunately, neither place would change a cheque for us. We drank a coffee in Hotel Santa Domingo's picturesque restaurant and were momentarily cheered up by a cocky blue jay which hopped confidently onto our table to ask for food. The jays with their cute head tufts and raucous noises were all over the island and were really entertaining. Luckily, as we headed out to the road to begin the arduous walk back to Alta Gracia, a bus appeared heading in our direction. 
We climbed gratefully aboard and when we got back to Alta Gracia, we grabbed our packs and caught the next bus to the dock at Moyagalpa, sad to leave without visiting the petroglyphs and Maderas. But the money had run out and it was still raining, so in a way we were glad to get moving and head off somewhere else. This next bit was written in San Jose, Costa Rica, on the 3rd of June, 2004. After the ferry ride, we took a bus to the Costa Rican border, which was a huge and busy border crossing where we hooked up with three other travellers for the tedious process of queuing and stamping passports. They were three girls from Japan, America and Argentina, respectively, and we got a bus with them to the nearest big town, Liberia. When we arrived in Liberia, we were quite stunned at how clean and orderly the bus station was. There was even an American lady meeting tourists off the bus and giving out free tourist information. How unprecedented. We'd been used to arriving at every bus station totally disoriented and flapping around uselessly trying to find out where the town centre was. Everything here seemed very organised and geared to visitors. There weren't any children begging and no men in vests yelling where to, where to and trying to drag you into taxis. In fact, there was no yelling at all. We walked to a hostel with the Japanese girl and got a room for $10. Yikes, Mexico prices again. <laughs> um, and we got our still damp laundry machine dried. We got some vouchers for discounted internet use and went on the net for a while. Again, we were pleasantly surprised. The machines were fast and efficient. No more tiny, small-town internet cafes with ancient machines which take 15 minutes to open Hotmail. Then we went to find a cash point. Cash points? <laughs> I'm so excited. Cash points. And found several which accepted our card. Everything was so easy. We ate a Chinese meal and crashed for the night. The next morning we got up early to try to get to Montezuma Beach Town on the Nicoya Peninsula. The bus wasn't for two hours so we sat at the terminal cafe and had gallo pinto and coffee. I bought a newspaper to practice Spanish. We were approached by a taxi driver who actually said excuse me before asking if we wanted a cab. <laughs> we were in a state of shock. <laughs> Eventually we got our bus to the port town of Punta Arenas from where we would take a ferry to the peninsula. But the journey was not to be without incident. Strangely, after all the warnings we'd read about road safety in Guatemala and Nicaragua, it was in Costa Rica that we would come closest to a serious accident. Just as we turned a tight corner, our bus scraped a minibus, not a serious accident, but our driver got out to inspect the damage, leaving the bus on a downward slope pointing towards a ravine at the side of the road, and he forgot to put the handbrake on. <laughs> it's written this in all capitals. To the horror of everyone aboard, the bus suddenly started rolling slowly towards the edge of the road, which was only a couple of feet away. A few people screamed. Someone, I'm not even sure if it was a passenger or if it was the driver hopping back on board quickly, jumped into the driver's seat and slammed on the brakes. There was a low metal bar running alongside the road, separating it from the ravine beyond. Maybe it would have been enough to stop the bus, but maybe not. Luckily, we didn't have to find out. I had just been reading about road accidents in the paper as well. Um, people in this part of the world are very, seem to be very interested in reading about them. Uh, and for a horrible moment, I thought we were about to become part of the, one of the tabloid horror stories. Our bus looked like it was going nowhere for a while, so we got our packs and hopped on another bus to Punta Arenas. On board, there was a manic preacher in a suit several sizes too big, ranting about Diego Maradona. <laughs> I think I'm going to leave the recording there just before we get on the boat to the Nicoya Peninsula. 
um, to head to the Montezuma Beach town. Um, I'll pick it up in the next episode, which will be the final episode. So um, as usual, I just want to say thank you for listening. And as usual, you can see odd photos and sketches from this trip if you go to my social media um cat chapman on twitter and katrina chapman on instagram you can find my books and zines and comics work at my website katrinachapman.com thanks for listening